This is Ron Oral, and you're listening to the Deals Activist Investing Today podcast, and I'm very excited to be speaking today with Ben Rosenzweig of Privet Fund Management, an up-and-coming activist investor who's partnered with UPG Enterprises to launch a contest seeking to elect five directors, this is a change of control slate, onto the board of Sinaloy Corp an 882 million market cap metals and chemical company. Thanks, Ben, for taking the time to chat with us. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate you having me on. Okay, so Ben, before we talk a little bit about Sinaloy, I wanted to see if you could just tell us a little bit about Privet, uh, when it was formed, and, uh, and uh, just maybe a little bit of color about what it's like being an activist investor in today's volatile uh, coronavirus-driven markets. Sure, sure, no problem. So. So Privet was formed in, in 2007 by my partner, Ryan Levinson, and, and I was able to join him in 2008. So we've been doing this for a while, working together uh, for almost 12 years now. So what I'd say about us is, is we're long-term investors, and we're not necessarily exactly what you'd picture when you think of your typical you know, activist shareholder. For one thing, we really only focus on what I would term to be small companies. And these are businesses with, with under $500 million or so in, in revenue. And so that's where we've kind of staked stake our, our niche. And we run a pretty concentrated portfolio where we're, we're taking large stakes in these businesses, often in excess of, of five or 10%, and really digging in onto the strategy and the operations of the company, in addition to what you typically see from investors in, in terms of the financials and the governance. So we've, we've been able to maintain a pretty constructive track record of collaborating with boards and management teams to accomplish some, some pretty unique things. So personally, I've served on six public company boards throughout my career. My partner, Ryan, as I mentioned before, he's, he's served on eight public company boards. So we're not really one of those firms that, that just shows up and and demands a whole bunch of things immediately right we we own businesses over a longer period of time so we're very transparent with management teams when we show up on the scene try to cultivate a relationship with them learn their business because ultimately you know we we have a shared goal here which is to create shareholder value for everybody and so i think it's interesting we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more in a second about Sinaloy. Mm -hmm. So Sinaloy, th that campaign's come up after we've been a shareholder for multiple years. So we've, okay. we've been a shareholder for four years. We've actually been the largest shareholder for three years. So we feel very confident when we say something like current leadership is, is not capable of creating shareholder value because because we've known, we've lived with them, we've seen what they, they've been doing and what has worked and more often than not, what hasn't worked. And so you can see it in very objective measures that we've been pointing out in some of our campaign materials uh, that it just shows that they haven't been able to create value over a long period of time. So you're uh, sticking with this, uh, this investment and campaign despite all the volatility in the marketplace. That's right. I mean, I think it would be, it would be disingenuous to say that, that we don't see a lot of changes based on what's happened recently, right? We're very cognizant of how the coronavirus is impacting the world right now. Mm -hmm. but, but thinking about it from the, the investor head on, what I will say is that, if anything, good leadership right now is, is more important than ever. Mm -hmm. So if, you're, if you can't drive results and effectively manage a company during a period when you're talking about the last decade, that might ultimately go down as one of the greatest decades of economic expansion that, that most people have lived through. Why should shareholders want the current team to lead the company through a pandemic situation when we've got absolutely no idea how long this period can last? There could be fantastic opportunities 
that come out of it once the volatility subsides and hopefully we've we've gone back to a period where it's a little bit more stable. And so when I said we've been investors in the company for multiple years and we plan to be here well into the future, I mean it. So it's, it's just become so clear to shareholders that the company has dramatically underperformed its potential. And we're really not worried about disrupting anything because it's organized as a holding company. So, so the, the headquarters in Richmond, they don't actually do any manufacturing there. So the, the guys that are running the businesses day to day on the ground, they don't see the management team at all. They don't interact with them. Their life is not going to be impacted by board turnover or management turnover. If anything, they should be reinvigorated by the fact that the owners of the company are, are responsive to what have ultimately been some of the failings that have permeated the entire culture there. Yeah, it's interesting. We're seeing a lot of activist campaigns focusing on uh, on the C-suite executive uh, pay performance things lately, less on uh, buybacks of late. But um, so let's talk a little bit about the, more about the Sonoma. I was fascinated to learn that you kind of partnered with this UPG Enterprises. Uh, and between the two of you, you own literally a quarter of the company, which is, you know, typically, you know, I just wrote about a campaign where the activist owns 2%. And uh, is, is uh, making waves there. So this is a huge percentage. So talk about the campaign a little bit and why why you partnered with UPG, how that how that what what uh, how that works, and um, and then I guess maybe talk a little bit about how this proxy contest is different from uh, ones you've done previously. Is this have you done many change of control proxy contests before? I know you did. Uh, you've done some minority slate ones, but I'm I uh, yeah. No, that's a great question. So we haven't done any change in control. We've done a, a whole bunch of minority slate ones. And so I think it's really important when you look at the specifics of the current situation of what's going on at Sinaloy. Sinaloy is a business that's, that's got great assets in, in both the, the chemicals and the metal segment. It, it leads us to believe that the right leadership can really unlock tremendous value for, for not just shareholders, but all the stakeholders when you're talking about customers, employees, everybody that, that could stand to benefit from better leadership here. So it's, like I said, it's organized like a holding company. Uh, it's got a lot of standalone businesses and each one of them is, is pretty attractive from our perspective. They're very niche. They've got leading market positions and what we see as great potential. And so most of our issues are really what's been going on at the holding company level. There's been this ballooning of corporate expenses, mm-hmm. lack of any sort of operational experience in the C-suite in terms of being able to, to really oversee and provide a strategic direction for some of the operating businesses. And when you look at the capital allocation, they really haven't been able to effectively integrate and recognize the benefits from the assets that they've acquired. And they haven't been able to build a culture of collaboration where you're integrating these tangential businesses and recognizing some of the benefits that could come with that level of scale and that level of partnership. And when you look at at any company that you're going to run a campaign of, I'm sure you see this all the time, you're really looking at the the management team and the board, their tenure, their experience, the results. Here, there's a very long-tenured CEO. He's been on the board since 2004. He stepped into the CEO position in 2011, so we're going on you know nine years here. Chairman's been there since 2001, and the board is incredibly underqualified. There, it's an eight-person board. There's not a single person who's got real metals or chemicals expertise. I mean, one person on the board was a chemical engineer, uh, but that's about it. And, and out of the eight people, there's only one other public company board that's, that's ever uh, been served on by any of those people. So, I mean, in terms of just objective 
demonstrable skills that could be transferable to this situation, it's it, it's pretty light. And I, I think that's something that we've taken taken great issue with. And uh, and I appreciate you pointing out, you know, our partner UPG yeah. here, UPG. In, in, in our estimation, they're the perfect partner for us in this campaign. They're, you're they're essentially a, whole, a hedge fund and they're an operating company. That, that, that's exactly right, right? So between the, between the two of us, we bring a lot of skills that could be very, very useful at this business. Uh, UPG, they're, they're an operational company. They're organized like a holding company as well. They own eight different metals, manufacturing, distribution, and logistics businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've grown to about $750 million of, of revenue, which is interesting when you contrast that with Sinaloy, who's been at you know, $300 million or so, and they've been around for you know, o- over three decades. Mm-hmm. And, and what's great about, about UPG is, is you know, I think you've seen in the past where you've got an operator teaming up with an investor that maybe you know, could be accused of being a hired gun or something like that. Here, you know, the UPG team, they've put their money where their mouth is. I mean, they've come out of pocket. They've bought the stock, the same class of stock as us, the same class of stock as every other shareholder. And they own 8% of the company as well. So that should tell you the guys that know what they're doing, guys who know how to operate businesses, they believe in the potential of this company if it were to be managed better by real operational experts. Mm-hmm. But this, and you had uh, uh, mentioned previously that you had acquired this Hardinge uh, metal focus company that uh, Privet owns itself. I'm, I'm That's just right. curious. So you have uh, some expertise in the in the metals industry as well beyond your investment side. I guess uh, I'm trying to get a sense of of uh, of how this might play out. Uh, this is not kind of you're not trying to take over this business in terms of buy it or, in, or anything in an unsolicited acquisition, right? This is uh, trying to get directors on the board, basically. That's right. Yeah. I mean, so it just so happens that, that we have a, a focus on, on a lot of industrial manufacturing and metals bending companies, and we have the capability to be able to deploy capital in many different ways. But no, no two situations are alike, and we're all about doing what's best for the situation at the right time, right? We don't want to shove a square peg in a round hole. We want to have the flexibility to make sure that we're doing what's best. So I want to be crystal clear. We are not pursuing an acquisition of Sinaloy, nor do we plan to to do so in the future. All we're trying to do is replace directors now because Mm -hmm. we we believe there's tremendous value in the company's shares that's currently sitting there trapped due to mismanagement. And so I think it's certainly something that we've seen and we wouldn't put, put it out of question for the company as a defense mechanism to come back and try to maybe scare shareholders a little bit and, and say that we're trying to you know, acquire the company or something like that, but it couldn't be further for the truth. I think, I think that's their only defense, right? I mean, it's worth noting that, that in their press release uh, coming back after our proxy and after our nominations, they didn't refute any of our claims about their dramatic underperformance from a share price perspective, from an operational perspective. All they're trying to do is just characterize us as some sort of threat to shareholders, when I think what we would say is the real threat is the continued underperformance of the business and having having shareholders that are not able to realize any return on their capital when money deployed into almost anything else would have turned into an exponentially greater amount of money. And so they are still uh, underperforming their peers, even with this uh, dramatic market sell-off we've seen in recent uh, weeks? Yeah, they they really are. I mean, I think we don't want to 
we don't want to cherry pick. We want to look at the whole picture here over every conceivable time frame, and especially since the current CEO has been in place, which is is almost been 10 years, they've they've meaningfully lagged behind their peers. But what we've also done is is tried to correct or at least take the current market volatility out of the equation. So and you'll see in some of our proxy materials, when we're measuring performance, we measure it up until December 31st of 2019. So that nobody could say, you know, oh, the current volatility is the reason that we've underperformed or kind of use it as a cop-out. And, and when you look at it through 2019, there's no excuse because the economic expansion everywhere else has just been so pronounced and, and they can't keep up. So I think we've been, we've been very clear that the underperformance is there. We want to really focus the issues on the, the operational side of the business, you know, reducing expenses, getting rid of some of that corporate waste and bloat, really digging into the supply chain, the inventory, the supplier relationships, and, and being a lot smarter with M&A, being an effective integrator, capturing synergies as opposed to what we've seen at this company, which we call you know, dis-synergies, when you acquire companies and you actually add costs to support that, that infrastructure, which is the opposite of, of what you want to be as a successful acquirer when you're able to leverage your fixed costs and, and, and see incremental flow through to the bottom line. And the UPG guys are incredibly adept acquirers. We feel really good about their ability to help us uh, as we look to do M&A in the future, because I think that that could be a core pillar in what we want to do, but we got to fix what we have first because it, it can be great. When you say look towards M and A in the future, you're talking about like uh, that you might want to partner with them to acquire other businesses unrelated to Sinaloy. Yeah, it's a very fragmented industry. I think there's a lot of great opportunities out there, and I think there could be could be many impactful acquisitions as we look to the future. But right now, we want to make sure not to confuse the issue. Right. Uh, it's all about fixing what we have. That's the okay. number one thing that we need to do because there's, there's a lot of value that can be created there. And then that gives us uh, options going forward, right? We have the opportunity to do a lot of things, but only if our base is solidified. Okay. Interesting. And I think I got the sense of the, you know, the different strategic direction you'd like to see them put in, but just to kind of sum it up, they need to cut costs. They need to have, uh, start integrating some of the different uh, disparate uh, or uh, companies that they own that are, uh, not collaborating or working together, there needs to be some more synergies among the various different units. Is that, is that basically it? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think as you're doing that, you have the ability to restore management accountability, um, which is what we really wanna bring, bring to the company with the enhanced board level expertise that people that understand the industry can, can bring, right? They can bring relationships, they can bring strategic direction, operational execution. But at the end of the day, everybody wants to be part of a winner, right? And I think the UPG guys have done a great job of instilling a fantastic corporate culture and kind of ethos into their businesses by acquiring kind of sleepy, underperforming businesses, integrating them into what they've been able to uh, accomplish, a higher growth, exciting business. Because at the end of the day, right, these are metals manufacturing businesses. It's not exactly like Google. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but, but people want to be part of something that's successful. They want to have autonomy. They want to have the ability to create value and, and demonstrate what they're able to accomplish. And so I think uh, UPG and their uh, execs and some of the guys that we've proposed here, they have that experience. They can recreate that at Sinaloy, and it's not going to take that long. I think there are a lot of things that can be implemented from their past experiences at the company that can really reinvigorate uh, what's 
what's been a sleepy underperformer. All right. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I have to, uh, you know, from my conversations with the proxy advisors in the past, I, Institutional Shareholder Services, Glass Lewis, I know that they are kind of less eager to support, uh, recommend investors, support a change of control contest versus a, a minority slate contest. You know, these are often, um, I don't know, higher thresholds or burdens. Uh, a lot of times they want to see like the, uh, a big plan where the, the activist uh, has a CEO candidate that they would, re- you know, replace. Um, I can't remember. Do you guys, you guys have a, a, a like a, someone like you, you would like to put in there if you took control of the board or, um, or uh, uh, a, a plan for the, you know, what would happen to the executive slate? Yeah. So you're, you're, you're exactly right. In change of control situations, there, there certainly is a higher bar and a threshold in order to convince people that this is the right thing for the company. So we're very cognizant of that. And I would say that, that right now where we sit, having just filed our preliminary proxy, Due to SEC rules, I can't comment on this in, in too much detail just yet. But what I will say, over the course of, the, of our campaign, we'll definitely be releasing a comprehensive plan detailing in specifics how we expect to improve the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I hope that that should answer some of your questions. Okay, I'll be looking forward to that. And I'll definitely be following it. I'm going to ping over to ISS and Glasslows to make sure I get their reports when they come out. Curious to see what they think about it. So, okay, so let's talk a little bit about your past uh, activist engagements. For some reason, I, I wrote a lot about your uh, potbelly one, probably because we uh, everyone knows, at least in the greater D.C. area where I'm based, that you know, everyone knows about potbelly. Um, uh, but uh, you know, how uh, just give me a little of color of how your past activist engagement at companies informed your approach to activism and uh, and I guess your your effort at Simulite. Sure. So so past experiences have definitely enabled us to gain what I would would term to be a deeper understanding of the various opportunities and challenges that present themselves in in any boardroom, just speaking at a high level, right? Like, as I said, I've I've been on six public company boards. You kind of get a sense for some of these things. And and over time, I've learned to understand a lot more of the governance aspects that, that tend to show themselves in public company situations, right? And I think, as you've seen more recently, you've seen a lot more institutional investors focusing on governance, you know, sustainability, some of the things that, that go with that. And I think having that experience in a lot of different boardrooms is going to serve us well. As I said, at Sinaloy, they don't really have a lot of experience having seen some of the other problems and some of the curveballs that could be presented, uh, you know, when, when things go off the rails a little bit. And so I think there's a lot of, of really being involved in the business. I think at a high level, a lot of directors, they don't have an understanding of what their role should be in a public company context, right? When to ask questions, when to hang back, when to challenge management, when to immerse yourself in all the data that is, that is available to you. And so I think um, when you go in and you, you're coming in from this vantage point of knowing that the status quo is unacceptable, that it needs to be changed, that gives you the ability to really start pulling, peeling back the onion a little bit more and being able to leverage some of the things that you've seen in other companies. And obviously, that's the benefit of, of, of being a little bit more of, a, uh, of an investor that isn't focused on one specific company or one specific industry. You're able to leverage a lot of these, these learnings that could be applicable. And so we found that when we come to a new situation, there are a lot of these problems that tend to be uh, recurring in small companies that can be addressed very quickly by looking at what we've done in the past and 
applying that to the current situation. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. So I'm curious, uh, you know, I, I, like I said before, I was uh, interested in your, your partnership with UPG Enterprises, the fact that you guys own a metals focused company. Um, seems like you kind of, there's a, uh, hybridization in your investment approach to a certain extent between activist, uh, you know, investing on a hedge fund side and, and private equity. And, uh, you know, obviously we see this on a very big scale with Elliott management and they're, uh, you know, setting up their evergreen fund and they're buying companies or partnering with other companies to buy them. But in the, in the small cap space, um, I, I don't know. I haven't seen that much of this kind of hybridization of. Uh, anyways, I'm just curious if you, you think there's going to be a lot of private st- private equity style activism opportunities to arise, and uh, particularly as a result of this current economic downturn. You know, uh, are, are you buying you know additional shares in companies you feel are are uh, undervalued during as when when the markets uh, uh, when there's a big market sell off? No, that's a that's a great question. I think it's. You, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you're talking about some of this hybridization, right? Because at the end of the day, um, structure is less important than than understanding the company, being able to provide for what the company needs. And and at, ultimately, it's being a good investor, right? And so I think when you some remove some of the artificial constraints that come from these silos of, you know, private equity or public equity or hedge fund, you get back to just being a good investor. You know, maybe this is what people were doing 20, 30, 40 years ago, where you're doing what's right for the company as opposed to what your your mandate might be. And so I think there are, right now, I think there are a lot of really great companies out there, especially in the smaller segment of the market, knowing that a lot of them need to be revitalized. They need to be re-energized. They need to re-examine the way they're doing things. And you know, unfortunately, it doesn't take a global pandemic for that to happen. I think there's always a, a great opportunity to be investing in smaller companies because at the end of the day, if you've got a company that's been around for 20, 30, 40 years and it's still a small company, they mm-hmm. could have done something better, right? They could have grown into a big company. And so there's the opportunity to get to, to align yourself with them, evaluate whether they have the right team in place, evaluate whether the board is looking out for the shareholders and work with them, hopefully, as option number one, to mm-hmm. see if you can, you can augment their strengths and provide some bandwidth where they might not necessarily have the resources to take them to the next level. And if you're really so convicted about the opportunity, but you don't think you have the right players on the field in the right places, then you can see what could be the right, right outcome to uh, potentially you know, replace some of those people, both in the boardroom and, and in the management team. Okay, so last question. I really appreciate you, uh, Ben, taking so much time to chat with us here. Uh, the uh, and this is a question that I've been struggling with uh, ever since the pandemic it went uh, in such a high scale, and that's the uh, question of um, wondering what kind of sec, which sectors are the most attractive for activism in the current. Uh, current economic environment. We were talking to some of my colleagues, I was talking to some of my colleagues recently, and we talked about, you know, the oil and gas sector, like how a lot of activists were burned in the oil and gas sector in the 2008, you know, nine financial crisis timeframe. 
and um, how it's very illiquid now. So other than Carl Icahn, you know, we're not expecting that much activism in oil and gas space. And But you were wondering, you know, do activists want to launch campaigns at companies in other sectors that could experience continued uh, downward pressure as the uh, coronavirus expands and uh, people are still stuck at home for extended periods of time? So, uh, yeah, I'm really curious to hear uh, what you think are ideal sectors uh, for, for uh, investment during in this in this climate? No, uh, that's a great question, and if I can answer with absolute certainty, I would I would be putting a lot of capital to work right now. But you know, I think I think I think we all tend to gravitate towards what we know, right? So we don't do a lot of investment in oil and gas, or or in healthcare, or pharma, or things like that, which are 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 potentially very binary, right? And obviously, you know, healthcare is is incredibly dynamic right now, and it, and it could be extremely lucrative if you're in the right place, based on on you know, what's needed and at what time. But we know, hmm. we know basic industries, we know manufacturing very well. And I, I think, you know, I'm not going to speculate on when we're going to come out of this, but whenever we do come out of this, I'm extremely optimistic for manufacturing companies, especially uh, American manufacturing companies, because this, hmm. is, this is just a theory, right? But it feels a lot different than the 2000, you know, eight, 2009 timeframe when there was a little bit of, um, sowing the seeds of what would eventually become inequality. And certain people felt that it was, there were irresponsible actions by a, by a select few that plunged the entire economy in, into a, a dark place. Here, you, you know, there, there's really not a lot that, that anybody could have done differently. I think everybody was very confident in where we were sitting. And then this kind of came out of left field and, and we're all kind of working together here. There's a lot of, we're all in this together. This is right? not the big, CEOs, so, the big bank CEOs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and when you look at the current backdrop of, of what's going on in Washington and, and, and the current, the current government, I would not be surprised, not that I'm, you know, condoning it or, or saying that it's wrong, but I, I just would not be surprised if we came out of this with a very big initiative, we all fell down together, we're all going to pick ourselves up together. And that's going to start with, you know, buy American goods, buy stuff that's made in the USA, put your neighbor back to work, and, um, and, and, and he will do the same for you. And I think that when you look at companies like Sinaloy that manufacture in the Americas that have a, a fantastic blue collar, very loyal workforce. Um, I would not be surprised if they became uh, a secular beneficiary of whatever happens when we come out of this. And so I think that, you know, kind of bringing it all back to what we're trying to accomplish by, by catalyzing the change that we know is necessary at Sinaloy and not waiting, we're giving the stockholders the opportunity to put in place a board that has very relevant operational strategic governance experience so that when the, the business is is beginning to turn around and there's this great opportunity and this this fantastic open road in front of us we've already reinvigorated the corporate culture that had, had been stagnant for a long time and we can actually capitalize on it so we tried to find the slate of fantastic nominees that we are very confident can implement a plan that makes the most sense to create sustainable long-term shareholder value. And, and that's a company we want to be a part of for a very long time. All right. Well, uh, thanks, uh, Ben, for taking a little time. You've been listening to the Deals Activist Investing Today podcast with Ron Oral. And uh, yeah, we've been talking to Ben uh, Rosenzweig of Privet Fund Management. Thank you for taking the time. Appreciate it.